what an omnibus is? Okay, let me use it in a sentence for you and see if you can guess. Most of the children in our neighbourhood ride an omnibus to school. Got it? Yes, it's just another word for bus. Bus is actually the shortened form of this word omnibus. But it also has another meaning. Hmm, I wonder if any of you know the other meaning. Hello everyone, I'm Kathleen Pelly. Welcome to Journey with Story. Now, I know that many of you, especially those of you living in the UK and other parts of the world, are going through some more discombobulating times right now, with more lockdowns and not being able to go to school or play with your pals. Just makes everyone feel a bit out of sorts, a bit discombobulated. Hey, don't you love that word? Say it with me. Discombobulated. Okay. So, because of all this discombobulation, my audio editor and I had an idea that might help banish the boredom, beat the blues and all of that ho-hum-what-shall-I-do-today feeling. Well, actually, it was really my wonderful audio editor, Colette, who had this idea. She suggested we have a very special omnibus episode to end the month. So that includes all the monthly episodes in one place. And that way, you don't have to stop and start and fiddle around in between listening. You can just listen to all four episodes in one sitting. Isn't that a good idea? And now you know the other meaning of omnibus. Just as an omnibus carries a lot of different passengers, so an omnibus episode means a collection of different stories all put into one place. So, in this special omnibus episode, you can listen to all four stories for the month, one after the other. Oh, and just so you know... There will be no special introduction for the individual stories, no added details and no shout-outs. If you want to hear all of those, then you need to go and listen to the individual episode and not this version. Got it? Okay, so our first three stories this month are all pourquoi tales. That means they answered a why question. And our final story is about a timid little boy who learned how to find courage. Hmm, that sounds like something we might all want to learn, doesn't it? Oh, mums and dads and grown-ups, you can download some free colouring sheets at www.journeywithstory.com. Let's take an omnibus journey with story. Let's take a journey with how the kangaroo got its pouch. Long ago, the kangaroo was grooming her joy on the bank of a brook. 
They liked to listen to the water burble as the mama combed her baby's fur. On this day, an old wombat staggered toward them. Oh dear, the kangaroo whispered to her baby. This wombat is old and sick. He is so old, he must have great-great-great-grandchildren already. The mother kangaroo thought she had the sound of weeping. As the wombat stumbled closer, she heard him say, Useless and worthless, worthless and useless. What is the trouble, friend wombat? She asked. Huh? He said, startled. Who said that? I did, said the kangaroo. A kangaroo and her joey. I'm blind, the wombat replied. Nobody wants me around. Nobody thinks about me. I'm no good anymore. They've abandoned me, all of them. The kangaroo, who had a tender heart, said, Oh, it's not as bad as all that. I'll be your friend. My Joey and I will show you where the tastiest grass grows. She let the wombat hold her tail. Then slowly she led him over to the juiciest grass and the cleanest water. The old wombat sighed with pleasure. It made the kangaroo happy to see him feeling better. Suddenly she remembered her joy. She had told him to stay close, but he had wandered off again. She raced back to look for him. So many times as it happened. She'd looked for food and when she looked up, he had wandered off. It scared her terribly. Finally, she found her joy asleep under a gum tree. Not wanting to wake him from his nap, she decided to go back and check on the old wombat. Something was moving in the bush. It was a hunter, silently stalking the wombat. Already his boomerang was raised above his head, its smooth edges ready to slice the air. The kangaroo froze. She couldn't even breathe. She wanted to run, but the wombat was like her joy. She had to protect him. The kangaroo began to stomp on the branches and twigs under her feet. Thump, thump, crack, crack. She pounded the earth. The hunter turned toward her. Run! She screamed to the wombat. Run, there's a hunter! The wombat rushed off, not knowing where he was going. Now, all the hunter wanted was the kangaroo. As fast and as hard as she could, the kangaroo hopped off into the bush in the other direction from where she had left her joey sleeping. At last, she came to a cave. She was too tired to go further and collapsed on the dirt floor inside. At least the hunter would have to kill her in the cool dark, not out in the open where other animals would be forced to watch. But the hunter ran right past the mouth of the cave. He had not seen her. The kangaroo stayed still, waiting and listening for his return. She dared not leave her hiding spot yet. Soon, she saw the hunter again, walking back past the mouth of the cave, his boomerang hanging from his hand. She waited a little longer to be certain her path was clear, and then she raced as fast as she could back to the gum tree, and there was her darling Joey, wide awake and all ready to play. Together they went off in search of the old wombat. 
but search as they might, there was no sign of him. Now, what the kangaroo mama did not know was that the wombat was not actually a wombat at all. He was the great god Bayami, who had put on a disguise because he wanted to come down to earth and find out which of his creatures had the kindest heart. Now he had an answer that pleased him greatly. The kangaroo had the kindest heart of all his creatures. So Bayami wanted to give her a gift, a special gift that would be particularly helpful to her and her needs. Bayami called the sky spirits together and said, Go down below to where the eucalyptus grow tall. Peel the long strips of bark and make a dilly bag apron. Give it to the kangaroo mother and explain that she must tie it around her waist. And so they did. At the very moment the kangaroo mother tied the apron around her waist, Bayami transformed it into soft kangaroo fur. It grew into her own flesh. Now she had a pouch in which to carry her baby Joey. He could even sleep in there as she went about her daily tasks. The kangaroo mother was very happy with her gift, but because she was the kindest creature of all, she didn't want to keep it only for herself. She thought about the other kangaroo mothers and about the wallaby mothers and the kangaroo rats and all the other marsupials. Bayami loved the kangaroo's generous heart, so he decided to make pouches for all the other marsupial mothers. Ever since then, their babies almost never get lost. Let's take a journey with Why Koala Has a Stumpy Tail Long ago, Tree Kangaroo and Koala were good friends. In those days, Koala had a beautiful bushy tail that swished and swooshed this way and that. This is the story of how Koala ended up with a short stump of a tail. This was the year when a great drought descended on the land. For days and weeks and months, no rains fell. The earth grew parched and cracked. All the streams dried up. There was no water to be found. Even the leaves on the trees withered up and died. Koala headed off to visit Tree Kangaroo to see if he could help. I have an idea, said Tree Kangaroo. Once, when I was very little, I remember a dry season just like this, and my mother took me to the dried-up riverbed. She began to dig and dig and dig until finally a tiny trickle of water gurgled up from the ground and made a little pool. It wasn't much, but it was enough for us to quench our thirst. Oh, let's try that, cried Koala. 
the two of them scurried off to find the nearest dried-up riverbed. But by the time they reached there, Koala was hot and sweaty and very tired. Why don't you go ahead and start digging, he suggested, while I take a rest up here in this tree and gather my strength. Then after I am all rested up, I will dig and you can rest. Very well, agreed Tree Kangaroo, and he set to work, dig, dig, digging with all his might and strength. It was hard work in the sweltering heat of the sun, but the thought of drinking his fill with some fresh, cool water made him keep going. A little later, he looked up and saw that Koala was now sound asleep nestled in the tree. Ah, well, thought Tree Kangaroo. He should be all rested up in a short while and then it will be my turn to take a rest. So then he went back to his dig, dig, digging. Finally, Koala woke up. Tree Kangaroo stopped his digging. Now it's your turn to dig while I rest, he said. Very well, agreed Koala as he began to climb down the tree, but suddenly... He stopped and cried, Ouch! Ouch! Oh no, I have a thorn in my foot. You better just keep digging while I get it out. So Tree Kangaroo went back to his dig, dig, digging. But even though the hole was very deep by now, there was still no sign of any water. Tree Kangaroo stomped his foot. Enough! he shouted. I'm exhausted with all this dig, dig, digging. It is time for you to take your turn at digging, Koala. You get down from your tree right now and get to work. I need a rest. Once again, Koala started to climb down the tree, but then he began to shiver and shake. Oh, no, he cried. I am having a dizzy spell. It must be because I have not had any water. I will need to rest a little longer until I feel better. Tree Kangaroo stamped his foot in anger. But what could he do? He knew there was only one way to find water, and that was for him to keep dig, dig, digging. And so he set to work again, grumbling under his breath about lazy koala. Suddenly, a tiny trickle of water gushed out. At last, at last, shouted Tree Kangaroo. Water! At once, Koala scurried down the tree as fast as he could and rushed to the hole, shoving Kangaroo out of the way. He bent over the hole and gulped the water up fast and furious. Hey, save some for me, shouted Tree Kangaroo. But Koala paid him no heed. He was too busy drink, drink, drinking all of the water. Tree Kangaroo could stand it no more. He grabbed Koala's tail, pull, pull, pulling it with all of his might and will until suddenly, in one big plop, the tail broke right off, leaving Koala with only a measly little stump. And so it is that koalas now only have a short, stumpy tail. Because Koala was once so lazy and so selfish, and he lost a good friend as well.
let's take a journey with Why Armadillos Are Funny. A long, long time ago, armadillos were not the same shy, nocturnal creatures we know today. No, 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 they were most definitely not. Back then, armadillos were extremely proud of themselves and believed that the sun rose and set on their funny little faces. Back then, they were also very friendly creatures with no enemies at all in the animal kingdom. Raccoons were their friends, so were hawks and eagles and even coyotes and bears and dogs liked the armadillos. As for cats, well, that was a different matter. But we all know that is because cats are cats and they don't really care one way or another about any other creature other than themselves. But all the other animals enjoyed armadillos' company. Now, one very plain and very ordinary little armadillo who lived back then was called Apollo. His mother was ugly, his daddy was ugly, and Apollo was even uglier than the both of them put together. But the truth is, armadillos are meant to be ugly. That is the way they were born to be. The uglier, the better. So Apollo was just about perfect for an armadillo. Apollo armadillo discovered just when he was a wee little tot that he had a knack for being particularly funny. When he bugged out his eyes and waggled his tongue, the other animals split their sides laughing at him. The owls hooted, the iguanas giggled, and even the rattlesnakes sniggered with a sss. One day, Apollo discovered a new trick to amuse his friends. He hid in a ditch and waited for an animal to come walking down the road. The first one to come speeding along was... Roadrunner. Beep, beep. Just as Roadrunner reached Apollo's hiding place, the little armadillo dashed out into the road and shot straight up into the air with his arms and legs splayed all out in four directions, hair standing on end, shell wobbling, eyes bugged out and tongue a wiggle waggling. Wah! bellowed Apollo. The roadrunner screeched to a halt. Ah! he yelled. Then, ka-plunk. Plopped over backwards. There he lay in a cross-eyed, dizzy daze right in the middle of the road. After a few minutes, he picked himself up, saw how silly Apollo looked and began to laugh and laugh and laugh. The other animals who were peeking out from the bushes joined in. Everyone hee-hawed and guffawed with laughter until their sides were fit to split. Armadillo was mighty pleased and proud with himself. His parents were proud too. They even encouraged him more. His daddy said, Son, in my opinion, you could use a little more tomfoolery. Here, try these on. And he handed his son some funny eyeglasses with a big red nose and a hairy moustache attached. Now, when Apollo played that same jump-up trick, he looked even funnier and more ridiculous than before. Now he was able to stop any creature, no matter his size or might, and make them laugh out loud. Down the road came a bouncing bunny. Boing, boing, boing. Wah! yelled Apollo. Ah! yelled the bunny. Then, thunk, the bunny keeled over on his back. Down the road came a turkey. Trot, trot, gobble, gobble. Wah! 
yelled Apollo. Ah! yelled Turkey. Then thunk! He too plopped over on his back. Down the road came Buffalo. Galumph! 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 Wah! yelled Apollo. Ah! yelled the Buffalo as he tumbled over and over onto the ground. Every single time this happened, the dazed animal would pull itself together, take one look at that clownish Apollo and start to laugh. Softly at first, but then louder and louder until he was doubled over with great big belly laughs. No doubt about it, that armadillo was a real clown. But Apollo's mother believed that good can always be better. Try these on for size, she said, as she handed her son a huge floppy hat and a spotted necktie. Oh yes, see how funny you look now. Off Apollo went to wait by the roadside. Along came a big fat possum. Hunkacha, hunkacha, hunkacha. Up jumped Apollo. Wah! Arr! cried possum, then splat to the ground he fell. Meanwhile, up in the sky world, Lightning, who was mean enough to scare night into day, was growing angry. She was supposed to be the only one powerful enough to stop any creature in its tracks and make it keel over in shock. This ridiculous-looking armadillo named Apollo was stealing her thunder, and she was jealous. Thinks he's funny, does he? Well, I am going to show that miserable little mammal a thing or two about what's funny. The next time Apollo went down to hide beside the road and tickle his wits out of some poor passerby, lightning followed him. She darted behind clouds, keeping herself hidden from view. Apollo squatted in a ditch, chuckling to himself and eager to punch on the next friendly victim. Suddenly, lightning leapt out from behind a cloud, grabbed a bolt from her quiver and struck Apollo on top of his ugly little noggin. Ah! yelled Apollo. His eyes began to spin like tops. He stood on his nose. Then he danced on his tail. His plates of armour clacked up and down like a set of false teeth chattering. He rolled up into a tight ball. Thunk! went he. Then plop! he fell down in a faint. Lightning could not keep her face straight. Ha ha! He got a charge out of that! She went back to the clouds, grinning all over. Some time later, Apollo woke up, looked around and could not see a thing. Help! Where am I? Why is it so dark? Then he realised he was curled up inside his own armoured shell. He stretched and pushed, but no matter how hard he tried, he could not release himself. Fright had locked him up tight. He tried shifting his weight back and forth, back and forth, until he began to roll. On and on he rolled down a steep hill, hurtling so fast he could not stop until he smashed into a great oak tree. Bunk! Crack! Apollo's shell split into nine places. To this very day, you can still see those cracks on the armadillo's back. Out popped Apollo's nose, then his feet, and then... Clunk, clunk, clunkety clunk. Thousands of acorns rained down on his head. Poor little armadillo. A 
At first he was so embarrassed, but then he leapt to his hind legs, smiled at the crowd gathered around him and bowed. Thank you, my friends, thank you. I hope you enjoyed my little trick. At this, all the animals began to cheer and clap. Even Lightning could not stop from laughing. Soon she was doubled over laughing. And then it dawned on her. Apollo was taking all the credit for her joke. This would not do. She reached into her quiver and fired another fierce bolt straight at him. But all that laughing threw her aim off. The bolt hit the ground, sparks flew, the grass sizzled and the dirt cracked open. And what crawled out of the ground but... Earthworms. Yum, yum, time for dinner. Apollo grabbed a handful of those wiggly, wiggly worms and slurped them up, chewing with his mouth wide open, worms dribbling down his chin and his eyes popping out with delight. All the animals burst into peals of laughter. Look at him, he's disgusting, he's so funny. And then, thunk, they all fell back over laughing. Lightning knew Apollo had won their little game of wits. She could not get the best of him. So she went back to her sky world and never bothered the armadillos on Earth again. And that is how Apollo, a funny little armadillo, taught all the other animals something very important. Sometimes the best protection from an enemy is to make them laugh. Let's take a journey with The Monster That Grew Small and this version is retold by Joan Grant. Far to the south, beyond the third cataract, that's just another name for a waterfall, there was a small village where a certain boy lived with his uncle. The uncle was known as the Brave One because he was a hunter and killed such a lot of large animals. And he was very horrid to his nephew because he thought the boy was a coward. He tried to frighten him by telling him stories of the terrible monsters that he said lived in the forest. And the boy believed what he was told, for was not his uncle called the Brave One, the Mighty Hunter? Whenever the boy had to go down to the river, he thought that crocodiles would eat him. And when he went into the forest, he thought that the shadows concealed snakes and that hairy spiders waited under the leaves to pounce on him. The place that always felt specially dangerous was on the path down to the village, and whenever he had to go along it, he used to run. One day, when he came to the most frightening part of this path, he heard a voice crying out from the shadows of the darkest trees. 
He put his fingers in his ears and ran even faster, but he could still hear the voice. His fear was very loud, but even so he could hear his own heart, and it said to him, Perhaps the owner of that voice is much more frightened than you are. You know what it feels like to be frightened. Don't you think you ought to help? So he took his fingers out of his ears and clenched his fists to make himself feel braver and plunged into the deep shade, thrusting his way between thorn trees in the direction of the cities. He found a hare caught by the leg in a tangle of creepers, and the hare said to him, I was so very frightened, but now you have come, I am not afraid any more. You must be very brave to come alone into the forest. The boy released the hare and quieted it between his hands, saying, I am not at all brave. In my village they call me Myobi, the frightened one. I should never have dared to come here, only I heard you calling. The hare said to him, oh, Why are you frightened? What are you frightened of? I am frightened of the crocodiles who live in the river, and of the snakes and the spiders that lie in wait for me whenever I go out. But most of all, I am frightened of the things which rustle in the palm thatch over my bed place. My uncle says they are only rats and lizards, but I know they are far worse than that. What you want, said the hare, is a house with walls three cubits thick, where you could shut yourself away from all the things you fear. Well, I don't think that would do any good, said Myobi, for if there were no windows, I should be afraid of not being able to breathe. And if there were windows, I should always be watching them, waiting for things to creep in to devour me. The hare seemed to have stopped being frightened, and Myobi said, Now that you know that I am not at all brave, I don't suppose I'll see much of a protection. But if you feel I'd be better than nothing, I'll carry you home if you tell me where you live. To Myobi's astonishment, the hare replied, I live in the moon, so you can't come home with me yet. But I should like to give you something to show you how grateful I am for your kindness. What would you like to have best in the world? I should like to have courage. But I suppose that's one of the things which can't be given. Well, I can't give it to you, but I can tell you where to find it. The road which leads there you will have to follow alone. But when your fears are strongest, look up to the moon and I will tell you how to overcome them. Then the hare told Myobi about the road he must follow. And the next morning, before his uncle was awake, the boy set out on his journey. His only weapon was a dagger that the hare had given him. It was long and keen, pale as moonlight. Soon the road came to a wide river. Then Myobi was very frightened for in it there floated many crocodiles who watched him with their little evil eyes. But he remembered what the hare had told him, and after looking up to the moon, he shouted at them, If you want to be killed, come and attack me. Then he plunged into the river, his dagger clutched in his hand, and began to swim to the far bank. Much to the crocodile's surprise, they found themselves afraid of him. 
To try to keep up their dignity, they said to each other, oh, He is too thin to be worth the trouble of eating. And they shut their eyes and pretended not to notice him. So Myobi crossed the river safely and went on his way. After a few more days, he saw two snakes, each so large that it could have swallowed an ox without getting a pain. Both speaking at the same time, they said loudly, If you come one step further, we shall immediately eat you. you. Myobi was very frightened, for snakes were one of the things he minded most. He was on the point of running away when he looked up to the moon and immediately he knew what the hare wanted him to do. Oh, large and intelligent serpents, he said politely. A boy so small as myself could do no more than give one of you a satisfactory meal. Half of me would not be worth the trouble of digesting. Hadn't you better decide between yourselves by whom I am to have the honour of being eaten? Sensible, very. I will eat you myself, said the first serpent. No, you won't. He's mine, said the second. Nonsense. You had that rich merchant. He was so busy looking after his gold that he never noticed you until you got him by the legs. What about the woman who was admiring her face in a mirror? You said she was the tenderest meal you'd had for months. The merchant was since that, said the first serpent firmly. He wasn't. He was. Wasn't. Was. While the serpents were busy arguing which of them should eat Myobi, he had slipped past without their noticing and was already out of sight. So that morning, neither of the serpents had even a small breakfast. Myobi felt so cheerful that he began to whistle. For the first time, he found himself enjoying the shapes of trees and the colours of flowers, instead of wondering what dangers they might be concealing. Soon, he came in sight of a village, and even in the distance, he could hear a sound of lamentation. As he walked down the single street, no one took any notice of him, for the people were too busy moaning and wailing. The cooking fires were unlit, and goats were bleating because no one had remembered to milk them. Babies were crying because they were hungry, and a small girl was yelling because she had fallen down and cut her knee and her mother wasn't even interested. Myobi went to the house of the head man, whom he found sitting cross-legged, with ashes on his head, his eyes shut, and his fingers in his ears. Myobi had to shout very loud to make him hear. Then the old man opened one ear and one eye and growled, oh, What do you want? Nothing, said Myobi politely. I wanted to ask what you wanted. Why is your village so unhappy? You'd be unhappy, said the head man crossly, if you were going to be eaten by a monster. Who is going to be eaten? You? Me and everyone else? Even the goats? Can't you hear them bleating? Myobi was too polite to suggest that the goats were only bleating because no one had milked them. So he asked the headman, There seemed to be quite a lot of people in your village. Couldn't you kill the monster if you all helped? Impossible, said the headman. Too big, too fierce, too terrible. We're all agreed in that. 
What does the monster look like? asked Myobi. They say it has the head of a crocodile and the body of a hippopotamus and a tail like a very fat snake. But it's sure to be even worse. Don't talk about it. He put his hands over his face and rocked backwards and forwards, moaning to himself. If you will tell me where the monster lives, I will try to kill it for you, said Myomi, much to his own surprise. Perhaps you are wise, said the headman, for then you will be eaten first and won't have so long to think about it. The monster lives in the cave on the top of that mountain. The smoke you can see comes from his fiery breath, so you'll be cooked before you are eaten. Myobi looked up to the moon, and he knew what the hare wanted him to say, so he said it. I will go up to the mountain and challenge the monster. Climbing the mountain took him a long time, but when he was halfway up, he could see the monster quite clearly. Basking at the mouth of its cave, his fiery breath whooshing out of its nostrils. It looked about three times as big as the royal barge, which is very big, even for a monster. Myobi said to himself, I won't look at it again until I've climbed all the distance between me and the cave. Otherwise, I might feel too much like running away to be able to go on climbing. When next he looked at the monster, he expected it to be much larger than it had seemed from further away. But instead, it looked quite definitely smaller, only a little bigger than one royal barge instead of three. The monster saw him. It snorted angrily, and the snort flared down the mountainside and scorched Myobi. He ran back rather a long way before he could make himself stop. Now the monster seemed to have grown larger again. It was quite three times as large as the royal barge, perhaps four. Myobi said to himself, This is very curious indeed. The further I run away from the monster, the larger it seems, and the nearer I am to it, the smaller it seems. Perhaps, if I was very close, it might be a reasonable size for me to kill with my dagger. So that he would not be blinded by the fiery breath, he shut his eyes, and so that he would not drop his dagger, he clasped it very tightly, and so that he would not have time to start being frightened, he ran as fast as he could up the mountain to the cave. When he opened his eyes, he couldn't see anything which needed killing. The cave seemed empty, and he began to think that he must have run in the wrong direction. Then he felt something hot touch his right foot. He looked down, and there was the monster. And it was as small as a frog. He picked it up in his hand and scratched its back. It was no more than comfortably warm to hold, and it made a small friendly sound halfway between a purr and the simmer of a cooking pot. Myobi thought, Poor little monster, it will feel so lonely in this enormous cave. Then he thought, It might make a nice pet, and its fiery breath would come in useful for lighting my cooking fire. So he carried it carefully down the mountain, and it curled up in his hand and went to sleep. When the villagers saw Myobi, at first they thought they must be dreaming, for they had been so sure the monster would kill him. Then they acclaimed him as a hero, saying, Honour to the mighty hunter, he the bravest of all, he who has slain the monster. 
Maiobi felt very embarrassed, and as soon as he could make himself heard above the cheering, he said, But I didn't kill it. I brought it home as a pet. They thought that was only the modesty becoming to a hero, and before they would believe him, he had to explain how the monster had only seemed big so long as he was running away, and then the nearer he got to it, the smaller it grew until at last, when he was standing beside it, he could pick it up in his hand. The people crowded round to see the monster. It woke up, yawned a small puff of smoke and began to purr. A little girl said to Myobi, What is its name? I don't know, said Myobi. I never asked it. It was the monster himself who answered her question. He stopped purring, looked round to make sure everyone was listening and then said, I have many names. Some call me famine and some pestilence. But the most pitiable of humans give me their own names. It yawned again. <sighs> and then added, But most people call me what might happen. hope you enjoyed all of those four stories. Here are some ideas for some follow-up activities if you want to keep busy. I wonder if you could write down what the story souvenir was for each of those stories. Could you do a drawing of your favourite episode and send it to me on Instagram at journeywithstory or on our website? You could write your very own pourquoi tale, such as Why the owl has big eyes Or Why pigs have curly tails Oh, and another activity that some mums have shared with me that their kids like to do after listening to an episode a few times is to act it out. Get your brothers or sisters or friends together and put on a little play for your mums and dads. That would feed their hearts, right? And mums and dads, you can get some other ideas for activities and storytelling resources from me when you sign up for my newsletter at www.journeywithstory.com. Now, that last story from this omnibus edition, The Monster That Grew Small, is a great reminder for all of us during these discombobulating times that we can be here for one another and help each other face our fears and find courage. Courage comes from the French word la coeur, meaning heart. And of course, you all know that stories are a great way to feed hearts with grace and goodness, hope and light. As my favourite poet says, all should be well, all should be well. And all manner of things shall be well. Be well, my friends, be well. And don't forget to join me next time for Journey with Story.